if you are the place where you engage with God, then it really matters what you think you are and how you think you work. Because if you are wrong about that, if you're wrong about what it means to be human, then you'll keep trying to engage and relate to God in a way that is not actually helpful. Now, most of us are, are so influenced by a way of thinking that is more modern than biblical that we have actually misdiagnosed our, our human selves. We have a, a bad anthropology. And because we have a bad anthropology, we often aren't able to enter into a healthy theology. Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place where we're learning to follow Jesus to the depths of His heart and the ends of the earth. I'm your host, Matthew Lewis, and I'm so glad you've joined us on the journey. You are with us in a series called Return. And last week we started the series and we just spoke about uh, our current moment in society and really the shaking and the failing of many of our systems and really our idolatries that have, have crumbled under the weight of human need in these recent times. And then we spoke about the invitation that's in front of us as a result of that, this kind of doorway that's opened up between idols now. As one idol has crumbled and before another one is built up in its place, we have this opportunity to uh, reassess our friendship with Jesus if we are followers of Jesus or come and um, investigate that for the first time if we're not and really ask the question, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus into deeper friendship uh, with God at this time? And, and just a word on that, a word around what we think this whole Christian thing is actually about. Um, a, a lot of this has to do with your actual understanding of, of the gospel, uh, this message that is at the heart of the Christian faith. And unfortunately, for the longest time, we've kind of summarized that or, or simplified it down to uh, holding a few doctrinal beliefs or, or, or ideas about things or going to a place on a Sunday or kind of being part of a tribe. And all of those things are really peripheral. What's at the heart of Christianity is Christ. Right. And it's only really valuable in the world today, the Christian faith is, to the degree that we make it about following Jesus. To, to put it another way, Jesus becomes our mentor. Jesus becomes our teacher. And we become his students or his apprentices. And we wrap our lives around his life. We come to him and, you know, to have faith in Jesus is to have confidence in Jesus, that he knows how to be human better than we know how to be human. And so we look to his example, and then we emulate it in our own lives. That's the value of the, of the Christian faith in the world today. And the hope of the gospel, the promise of the gospel to you and to me, is not that we would believe a thing and then go somewhere when we die. It's not that we would believe a thing and then get all the things that we want. It is that we would be so transformed in our friendship with Jesus that our lives become an expression of what Jesus would do if he was living in our body. That's the hope of the Christian faith. And, and that's what we're really looking for. That's what brings light into the darkness of these times. So just to phrase it like that and frame it like that, when we talk about following Jesus and the opportunity of this moment, that's what we're talking about. Now, how exactly do we do that? Because that's, that's a big, huge, beautiful promise and goal. How do we do that? 
And the answer is, is um, complicated. <laughs> uh, the answer is uh, with time. And the answer is, uh, is not without effort, right? We're going to have to apply ourselves to a journey. And that journey is a jour- an inward journey, an inward transformation of the person that results in external expressions, right? And so as a template, as kind of map for this journey, we're going to use Psalm 27 verse 4. And this isn't comprehensive. This isn't some kind of silver bullet. All it is is signposts on, a, on this journey of the, of the heart, on this internal journey of the self. A few signposts. And as we go through it, I'm just going to pull ideas out and then offer them to you as you walk in your friendship with God. And so to begin each uh, of the episodes going forward, I'll start with a, a meditative reading of Psalm 27.4, and then I will pull out an idea from different elements of this verse. And so I just encourage you where you are, wherever you're listening to this, maybe you're washing the dishes or on a run or whatever, uh, maybe you're in your car, just uh, adopt a sort of um, calmer posture, maybe breathe in deeply and breathe out and just become aware of God as he's with you now. And then as I read these words, just allow the Spirit of God just to wash over you and to highlight anything that he wants to highlight in your heart to you today. One thing I desire, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon his beauty and inquiring in his temple. So today, um, from the psalm, we're going to talk about uh, the idea of one thing and desiring the one thing. And really, uh, the kind of subheading I have for it here is a biblical anthropology and the engine of desire. <laughs> um, and so as we move in this direction of following Jesus and, and, and really taking the opportunity before us, I think one of the first places we have to start is with our point of desire. Now, to start off this thought, let me say that, that theology starts with anthropology. Okay, By that I mean is if we want to talk about relating to God, we need to talk about what it means to be human. Right? So to unpack that thought, first of all, let, let, me, let me be clear about this one thing. Right, God does exist independently from us. God is greater than us. Uh, there, there are fish at the bottom of the sea and stars in the depths of the universe and insects in the hearts of the jungles of the planet that no eye has ever seen and no eye may ever see. And yet they exist, right? Um, it would seem as if there are things that God has made purely for God's pleasure. And so we need to start by saying that God is not dependent on us, subservient to us, or limited by us. God is God, and uh, we are not. At the same time, however, when it comes to your and my personal engagement with this God, which is what we're talking about anytime we talk about faith or spirituality, we are the ground zero of that experience. So I mean, what I mean by that is that we are the place where we meet God. And because of this, um, our ways of trying to relate to God are either unhelpful or helpful, depending on the degree to which our underlying assumptions 
uh, of what we think it means to be human are aligned with truth. <laughs> okay, so that was a big statement. Let me say it in another way. If you are the place where you engage with God, then it really matters what you think you are and how you think you work. Because if you are wrong about that, if you're wrong about what it means to be human, then you'll keep trying to engage and relate to God in a way that is not actually helpful. Now, most of us are, are so influenced by a way of thinking that is more modern than biblical that we have actually misdiagnosed our, our human selves. We have a, a bad anthropology. And because we have a bad anthropology, we often aren't able to enter into a healthy theology. Most of us think that we are, are fundamentally thinking things, all right? We think that our bodies are essentially vehicles for moving around our minds. Or, or another way to put it, we say we, we kind of see ourselves as like these giant bobbleheads, and our, our minds or our brain is the mission control of our lives. It's this idea of um, I think, therefore I am, which, which comes to us from the philosopher René um, Descartes, right? And so... We, we, because we have this view of who we are, we think that information is the way that we change. Okay, And so in our trying to follow God, um, what we try and do is we just fill our minds with more and more and more information. And so this is why uh, most people, when they talk about their Christian faith, they talk about what they believe. Right. So if I said to you, okay, what do you believe about Jesus? You could tell me that Jesus is the Son of God. You could tell me that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. You could tell me uh, that you believe uh, that because you have faith in Jesus, you've been saved from those sins and that he offers you this gift of eternal life. You can talk about your beliefs at a thought level. And so much of our way of discipleship and our way of following Jesus has majored on the thought level space because we think that we are predominantly thinking beings. Now, my question for you is, is how is this version of being a human being, how is this assumption of what it means to be human, that we're primarily about our thinking, how is this actually working for you? And my guess is that if you were to be honest with me, and uh, if I were to be honest with you for a second, it's not really working. Because you and I both know that there is a big difference between knowing the right thing and doing the right thing. Yes. So a, a primary example of this would be like fast food. Yes. You know that fast food is bad for you. Anything deep fried and covered in whatever, it's bad for you. That's the knowledge. Okay. And so you know you shouldn't be eating it. And I could give you articles and I could give you encyclopedia references and we could give you websites. We could give you all the literature. We could give you videos. We could heap on you a mountain of knowledge around um, how bad fast food is to you. And you can still know those things, but it's likely that just knowing it won't be enough to stop you from eating it. <laughs> yes? So, for example, you can know how bad deep-fried chicken is for you, and yet you drive down the street and you smell that smell coming through your car window, and all of a sudden you need to take a detour uh, through the drive-thru to get yourself some chicken wings. 
okay? Because change is not simply about knowledge. And we see this in our experience. Name your addiction, right? Social media. We all, we've all seen uh, all the Netflix documentaries. We all know how, how bad this stuff is for us and what it's doing to our brains and what it's doing to our happiness and our anxiety and all these kinds of things. And yet we're still finding ourselves addicted to these things. We're still finding ourselves acting in ways that seem to contradict what we say we know and believe. And so when we just look at the human experience, when you look at your life and when I look at my life, what I start to realize is that the assumption that human beings are primarily thinking things must be off because we can have all the knowledge in the world and still not change. Now, let me be clear, this is not about anti-intellectualism. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't think or that information plays no part in our change. It does. It has a role to play. I'm not arguing for less than knowledge. What I'm saying, though, is that we need more than knowledge. We need to recognize the limitations of what knowledge can do, and then we need to push beyond knowledge into something else. We need a better anthropology. What really are we as human beings? Now, there is a, a verse in the Bible in Proverbs, and, and it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's uh, from Proverbs 4, verse 23. What this is referring to is that as human beings, we are more than thinking things, we are actually, uh, the engine of our lives is the heart. And the heart, or, or the will, if you will, is the place that gives birth to our desires. Let me give it to you this way in a book by James K.A. Smith. He, he wrote this in a book called You Are What You Love. He says, Worship is the imagination station that incubates our loves and longings so that our cultural endeavors are indexed toward God and his kingdom. If you are passionate about seeking justice, renewing culture, and taking up your vocation to unfurl all creation's potential, you need to invest in the formation of your imagination. You need to curate your heart. You need to worship well. Now listen to this. Because you are what you love, and you worship what you love, and you might not love what you think. I'm going to read that last part again. You are what you love, and you worship what you love, and you might not love what you think. Uh, we see this in Jesus, right? In um, John verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 38, his disciples come to him, and they want to follow him, and he turns around and he asks them this question. He says, what do you want? And here Jesus is referring to that same issue. He's, he's moving past just the ideas about things. He's moving past just like a set of theological convictions. He's going, what do you want? Or in another way, way of saying is, what do you love? What do you desire? And, and, and the idea here is that what Jesus knows what a human being is. Okay, and he knows that a human being is not ultimately just controlled by a set of thoughts in the mind. Human beings are not bobbleheads, but they are driven from the heart, the passions, the longings, and the desires. 
And these things, again, according to James uh, K.A. Smith, these passions, longings, and desires, these wants, longings, and, the de- and desires, they are at the core of our identity. They are the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Our wants, he says, reverberate from our heart, and our heart is the epicenter of our person. Because of this, discipleship is more about hungering and thirsting than it is about knowing and believing. I'll read that again because it's just so good. Discipleship is more about hungering and thirsting than it is about knowing and believing. That's why Proverbs tells us to guard our heart above all else because our heart is the place that gives life to it is the wellspring of our hungers and our thirsts our longings and our desires this is why just professing your faith in Jesus is not enough healing in your life and in my life it comes from the following of Jesus the wrapping our lives around Jesus, so that what we desire starts to become God. Now, this leads us to our thought from the psalm. That opening line, it says, One thing I have desired. Obviously now here he's referring to God because of how it goes on. But, but what we want to ask in this particular single thought, pulling that out of the verse, is what do you want <laughs> as you're listening to this? Okay, So if everything I've said is true, if uh, the way we relate to God depends on what we think it means to be human, if our theology and anthropology are aligned, and if we to be human is to be a person made in the image of God who is actually the engine room of our humanity is actually from the heart, our desire, our longings, right? Our passions, our loves, not only about our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs. If that's true, then one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what do we actually desire? And do you desire God? Now, to answer this question, do you desire God? Do I desire God? This is not an easy answer because the question is both, the answer is both yes and no. <laughs> okay. The answer is both yes and no. And let me unpack this idea under two headings. The one heading is a heading uh, I've entitled divine longing. And the other one is disordered desire. So let's start with the, this idea of divine longing. There's a quote by a guy called Augustine, and it says this, You have made us for yourself, God has made us for God's self, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This quote kind of sums up one of my deep convictions, and that is that every single human being is born with what I call the ache. Now, the ache is uh, my reference or my way of phrasing what so many theologians and philosophers have tried to point to or understand over the years, which is that we seem to have this inbuilt longing for something, or as Augustine calls it, a restlessness. Or as C.S. Lewis phrases it beautifully, he says, uh, if we find ourselves with a desire 
that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So you and I, we are born with this divine longing. It's kind of genetically engineered into us at a cellular level, right? You have a gut thirst. Uh, there's that Psalm 63. It says, my soul thirsts for you and my, fa- my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water, right? We, we have this hunger. We have this thirst. And that is the human condition that's been built into us, hardwired into us. And so at one level, when I ask you the question, do you desire God? The one thing that you desire, is it God? Part of the answer to that is yes, because you're human. So you don't even have to acknowledge God. You don't even, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to try and be a follower of God. But every single human being at a fundamental level desires God. There is a divine longing that's built into you. But at the same time, the answer, if you're honest with yourself, is also no. And this is under the area of uh, sort of what I'm calling disordered desires here. Okay. Um, Because the truth is, although all of us have been born with this eternal longing, most of us have not allowed ourselves to be satisfied by the one that longing points to. Most of us have not taken that hunger to God. We've taken that hunger to other places. And there's so many reasons we do this, uh, but I'm going to highlight two over here. Is One of the reasons we do that is because of ignorance, and the other reason we do that is because of arrogance. Right. So let's talk a little bit about ignorance here. Again, uh, Uncle C.S. Lewis has this for us. He says this. He says, uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so on one level, the reason we take this divine longing to other things, to things other than God, is because we're ignorant. Because we are like little children who have no idea of who God is and what God is offering. Okay, And we think that the best that we can get out of this life are foolish things like drink and sex and ambition. And so we end up settling for too little. Okay, and so we end up giving our lives away and, and, and directing our lives toward and building our lives around what C.S. Lewis calls mud pies. Okay, things that are ultimately of no eternal worth or significance and things that definitely don't have the weight to don't have the strength to carry the weight of our human need, which is why these things never satisfy us, because you cannot satisfy an eternal appetite with a temporary diet. Right Now, the other reason we do this, the other reason we take this divine longing to the wrong places is out of arrogance. Uh, and this is Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul's writing, and he says this. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
but they became futile in their thinking. Okay, so there's information. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So now you can see that's the engine room of the human person. The heart, this place that gives birth, this wellspring of longing and desire, that heart was darkened. And so these people claiming to be wise became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and bird and animals and creeping things. And so at one level, the reason that we take this divine longing to all the wrong places and then those things become disordered desires, one of those things, one of the reasons is ignorance. We just don't know how good God is and we don't know how futile the things that we give our, our life to is, right? But then on another level, it's arrogance. It's us saying that we want to be wise in our own eyes. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? The, the lie there in that story is that, hey, God knows that you want to be, you'll be like him. So that's why he doesn't want you to have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't trust him. Don't, don't be subservient to God. Try to replace God. Be wise in your own eyes. And when people do that, what ends up happening is they become fools and they start to exchange the glory, the holiday at the sea of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, bird, animals, and creeping things, mud pies, right? And so, but what is all that built on? And what is the result of that? It, it, it results in a futility of thinking that, that results in a darkening of the heart. So the engine of desire at the core of the human person is darkened. And so now what ends up happening is that you're at, you're at odds with yourself. Okay. So, and this is particularly now to the follower of Jesus who's listening to this. In your mind, you might have certain beliefs and thoughts and ideas about things. If I sat down with you and I said, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? You would say, uh, hopefully you would say, yes, I do believe that, right? But just belief is not enough. Okay. You have to ask your question, do you desire <laughs> for Jesus to be Lord. It's got to go it's got to go down to the level of desire. Right? That's the first place. And if we're really honest with ourselves and we start to get a clear view of who God actually is, there is a moment of honesty we have to have, which is where we have to say, God, I desire you, but I don't desire you. <laughs> I want I want to want you, God. But the truth is all that you are I don't really want. Um, there's this beautiful picture of Jesus is walking and uh, it's Andrew and James and they come stand next to him and they say to him, hey, Jesus, when you're in your power, when you, when you ascend into power and you see it on your throne, can we sit on your left and on your right? And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Because the rulers of this age, they lord it over people and they, they sit in positions of authority and power, but not so in this kingdom. In this kingdom, we become the servant of people. In this kingdom, we go to the bottom, we pour our lives out. Yes, that's who God is. You see, God is not whatever you want God to be. God is Jesus. Okay. And Jesus, my friends, unless you're looking at Jesus as he really is, uh, you won't, you won't see how offensive he is. <laughs> That's just not another way of saying that, right? Um, so this is the classic picture of like, from a Pharisee perspective, we want to want God. But then God shows up in Jesus' skin and we crucify him. Yes? Okay, and so if we want to move into deep friendship with God, one of the first movements, ironically, is the confession to God that we don't actually desire God. 
We do desire God, but we don't desire God. <laughs> we, we desire to desire God, but there's so much about God that we don't desire right? Uh, if you've watched The Chosen, man, I've really enjoyed this series. And at the end of season two, they've got this beautiful picture of the Beatitudes and, and Jesus, uh, the actor who's playing Jesus there, he says this wonderful thing. He says, um, the Beatitudes are a map where people will find me. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus. It's, if Jesus was president of the world, those would be his politics. So blessed are you when you mourn because you'll be comforted. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness, right? Are, the, are those things true about you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Like hunger and thirst for it, right? The, 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 that's when you can start to test, okay, are my desires actually aligned with who God is. And if you are honest with yourself, what you'll find is there's a gap there. Because you and I, like all people in the world, we have been given over to disordered desires. We've settled for mud pies in various different ways. We, we, on one level, we say we believe in Jesus, but on another level, what we desire is the mansion, and we desire the picket fence, and we desire the, the Instagram model body, and we desire uh, notoriety, and we desire fame and wealth, and we desire all these things. And so on one level, Jesus is saying, don't store up for yourself tre- treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourself things in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. In other words, don't live a materialistic lifestyle. And on one level, we say, yes, Jesus, we believe in you and we desire you but then on another level if i interrogate my desires i really want the jet ski (laughs) i really want the mansion i really want the ferrari i really want i really want those things and so my desires now seem to be disordered okay it's seek seek first the kingdom of god and then all these things will be added to you and it's like god I, i want to but i also don't want to because the kingdom of god is not what i think Makes sense? And so if you and I want to step into friendship with Jesus, I just remind you of that quote we, that we wrote right in the beginning here. You need to cu- curate your heart. You need to worship well because you are what you love and you worship what you love. And here's the key. You might not love what you think. And so as I'm speaking, this may like land heavily for you. And you go, man, that's actually true about me as I think about it. So, so my desires are actually misaligned. I have got a divine longing. That's why I'm listening to this podcast. <laughs> right? there's, there's something that drew me here. But at the same time, if I interrogate myself, I have a whole bunch of disordered desires, things attached to uh, what Romans describes as as idols made in the image of, right? Or what C.S. Lewis describes as mud pies. And the question is, where do we go from here? And I think the first place would be to say, don't feel guilty, okay? As you you see all this, don't allow guilt to creep in because um, we don't ever make progress through guilt. Guilt is a terrible engine for change. Instead, start with gratitude, okay? And, And why gratitude? 
simply because, uh, I, lo- I love this, Eugene Peterson says this, he says, every discovery of sin is reason for celebration because God doesn't reveal what he doesn't intend to heal, basically. Right? So if you're seeing this right now, I want to encourage you, your eyes wouldn't have been opened apart from the grace of God that is currently active and moving in your life. So that's already a grace. The fact that God is showing you this discrepancy of desire, this kind of divine longing, but then these disordered desires that ultimately make us do what we don't want to do, uh, according to Paul in his language, right? So, so start with gratitude and then move to honesty. So there's this beautiful uh, phrase in Psalm 139. It says this, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right. So just come honest before God. Start grateful. God, thank you for showing me this. Thank you that you're with me in this journey. Thank you that you're not inviting me into anything. You won't give me the grace to walk out. And now, God, I'm going to come with radical honesty. It's that phrase in the Gospels, I believe, forgive my unbelief. Or in 139, God, search me now. Show me these ways that are misaligned with you. And then God, lead me in the way everlasting. This is repentance. So that, I love this from Uncle Dallas, right? The goal is that that we would become the kind of people to whom God can entrust the power to do what they want. Just think about that thought for a second. What Jesus wants to do in your life and my life is developing us a character that is so much like Jesus. Give us desires that are so aligned with the desires of Jesus that he can entrust us with the power to do what we want. (laughs) That's a phenomenal thought. This is that thought of delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've often thought about that in transactional means of like, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, then he'll give me a Ferrari, right? No, if you delight yourself in the Lord, the Lord will become your delight. (laughs) In other words, if you delight yourself in the Lord, as you fix your gaze and your affection on God, he will put desires in your heart and then he will entrust those desires to you. He'll form in you the character of Jesus so that he can give you the power and authority to do what you want because what you want will be what he wants. And so start with gratitude, move to honesty and walk the journey in his grace. And, and lastly, here's a thought uh, from Charles Spurgeon. It says this, I love this. He who rides a lame horse is not blamed by his master for want of speed. If he makes all the haste he can, he would make more if he could. God takes the will for the deed with his children, right? So in other words, as you walk this road, I, I want to say to you, you're going to be walking this road for the rest of your life, <laughs> okay? We're going to be continuously conformed to the image of Jesus. And this idea of acknowledging our disordered desires and coming before God and saying, I want to, but I don't want to, this is the first step in the direction. But it's something we'll have to keep coming back to because the, the depth of formation goes all the way down to the deepest part of us. And you'll find disordered desires at different levels in yourself all the way along the road, right? And so it's okay. God takes the will for the deed in his children, right? So uh, uh, what God is interested in is, are you coming with your whole self? 
that's, that's his desire for you, is come with your whole self. Receive the grace of God and enter into this invitation. But do recognize that in yourself, if you really want to change, we can't only be operating at the level of thought. We have to be moving to the level of, level of desire because we are what we love and we may not love what we think. Finally, we want to uh, end off with a Q&A session. Um, we put the, the Q&A space out from last week, and, and the hope is that every episode we'll be able to have a little section of Q&A at the end of the session. And today's question comes from uh, Gina Arena in Johannesburg, South Africa. So Gina, if you're hearing this, well done on being the very first Q&A on the follower podcast. And she says this, she says, my question is, what does or should surrender look like in this hour? Can surrender also be an act of hoping that God will hear or answer your prayers in the midst of giving it over to him? Or is surrender actually a hard posture of total submission and then subsequent giving up to whatever God wills? Um, so this idea around surrender, Gina, and to anybody who's listening, man, I think one of the most helpful templates for surrender is actually found by Jesus in the garden. And uh, here we see the ultimate movement of surrender. And uh, he's going to the cross, if you know the story. And uh, he's, he tells his disciples that he is, um, he's afflicted with grief to the point of death. And then he enters into this prayer with the Father. And we see a couple of movements. Number one, he addresses God as Abba. Abba Father, right? And so I would say that all true surrender starts with the revelation of who God is. If you, you won't trust who you don't think has your best interests at heart, right? And so unless you know that God is Abba, unless you know that he's Father, that he won't give you a stone if you ask for bread, but that he has life and life to the full for you, unless you can trust that at a deep level, you're going to find it hard to surrender to him. Second thing he says is, um, uh, is he, he's honest about how he's feeling. He, he's like, Lord, if uh, I don't want to do this, <laughs> basically. Okay, he just comes to the Father, Abba, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid. And if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, please let it pass from me. So he's honest about his, his emotions and he's honest about his desires. So in your life, whatever it is you're struggling with surrender around, it's okay to come to God in honesty. Right? You can be honest with your emotions, how you're feeling about this thing. And you can be honest with your desires, how you would prefer that this turns out. God, please, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. But then the final movement is crucial here. And then he's surrendered to God's purposes. So he prays and he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, never mind, regardless of what I feel, even what I want, God, let your will, not my will be done. And there we move into this posture of surrender. So there's a couple of movements there. Number one, know who you're, who you're in re relationship with. Know that he's Abba, that he's good and he has your best interest at heart. Be raw and honest with God about how you're feeling. Be raw and honest about God about what you're desiring. Tell him. And then having shared your heart with him, submit to his will. Nevertheless, your will, not my will be done. And so I would just say as a little template around surrender, again, that's not like a one size fits all switch on a button and suddenly you're the most surrendered person in the universe. 
But I, I do think that those kind of steps and thoughts are really helpful in our prayer life around uh, how we surrender to the purposes of God. So I hope that was helpful for you, Gina, and anybody else who's listening. Uh, guys, we'll see you next week on the follow-up podcast. We're going to be talking about what it means to seek God. So, And now that we've spoken about this one thing and our desires, how now do we start to seek God? What's the next movement in our repentance journey? Uh, if this episode was helpful for you and if this podcast is helpful for you, please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, it really, really helps us get the message out there. And please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You'd be amazed uh, at how far those reviews goes uh, in terms of getting it on other people's screens. Uh, obviously, uh, we believe in this work. And so, um, yeah, please share it. That'd be great. And then the Q&A stuff, man. I, I love this question answer time and I love just engaging with you guys. So uh, if you have any questions, you can DM me on Instagram or whatever, but but preferably go to the site, mattlewis.co.za. You'll see a space there, ask, follower anything, and you'll be able to email your questions to us and we'll get back to you and hopefully be able to have you on the show just like we've had Gina. So that's all for this week, guys. I hope it was helpful. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.